what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This podcast is sponsored by the 2019 Foot Candle Film Festival. This year's festival will be held September 27th through the 29th in Hickory, North Carolina. Learn more by visiting footcandlefilmfestival.com. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello everyone and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan, with me as always is Chris. Hello everyone. Chris, how are things going for you? They're doing well. They're doing uh, really well. We're right in the middle of March Madness. Always an exciting time. Very, very so, true. So has that's, nothing to do with movies. That's but. the one thing that starts to compete with movies for it's our true. attention and time is uh, college basketball. But it's okay. Uh, both can peacefully coexist sure. at the same time as we're proving by recording this episode right smack in the middle of yeah. tournament madness right now. If your uh, team goes out early, you can just go to the movie theater and forget about it. That's and watch pretty much what I do every year. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's my nice solace uh, after uh, a disappointing uh, season at times. Uh, luckily, as a Carolina fan, we haven't had too many of those lately. So we're hoping for another good year and uh, we'll see how it all turns out. But that's a whole other podcast topic we can get into. <laughs> Let's rein back into what we're actually here to talk about, which is movies. Sure. For Candle Films here on The Mesh, we review films, uh, try to catch a couple recent films that we're going to talk about. Then we move into some news items about some either uh, productions we know that are in, in, in progress that we want to talk about or film themes or uh, trends we're seeing. And then we always try to end up the show with a recommendation of a film that we think you might want to check out. Typically, it's a film that... Uh, you know, you can find online, maybe it's something you've overlooked, something you didn't hear much about, or we just want to revisit that maybe is worth another watch. So we've got all that planned for this episode. Chris, we've got two reviews we're going to jump into first uh, part of the show. The first one's going to be the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe entry, Captain Marvel, starring Brie Larson. Then we're going to move into a film called Stan and Ollie, which is about Laurel and Hardy, the comedy duo from the 30s and 40s, played by John C. Riley and Steve Coogan. So, Chris, those will be our two reviews. Then we'll do news. Then we'll do our recommendations. Excellent. Sounds good. Sounds like our typical plan. Yes. So, we're I mean, all, we should be all ready to go with this. Formula ain't broke. Don't fix it. All so. right. Well, let's jump right into it then. With our first review, uh, the latest film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Miss uh, Brie Larson starring as Captain Marvel. War is a universal language. I know a renegade soldier when I see one. Never occurred to me that one might come from above. Space invasion. Big car chase. Truth be told, I was ready to hang it up till I met you today. Prior to seeing the film, Alan, Captain Marvel, or should I say Marvel? Marvel. Uh, you, you share with me your curiosity of whether or not the film would successfully avoid the tired trappings of like the origin story film, which 
if you haven't read comic books that you know surround this character, then this is the first time she is introduced. So you just assume this is going to kind of be an origin story film for Captain Marvel. To kick off our review, Alan, how successful was this cinematic introduction to Captain Marvel? I'm not gonna. I'm gonna drop the Marvel. It's too irritating. Yeah, it's fine. Captain Marvel <laughs> sounds good. But yeah, uh, how successful was this cinematic introduction? And was it able to function as entertainment for you? Or were you bored as the plot points were just kind of checked off the checklist? Um, all right. So full disclaimer, and this should be no surprise to anybody who's listened to more than one other episode of the show. <laughs> I like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm a fan of the serialized storytelling that it's put in place. Right. I like it. I like the way they are handling the characters. I think 20 plus movies, I'd say 75% or more of them are ones I can honestly say I really like. Okay. So I'm a big fan of what they're doing here. I will say my enthusiasm level for Captain Marvel was probably lower than most films that they've brought out. Okay. A, I don't know the character very well. Okay. I've never been a huge fan or never read much of, of Captain Marvel in the comics. You know, either the male version or female version, which I can get into the whole history of that. But talking about the Carol Danvers version, I certainly have not read much up on that. Okay. Two, I'm not a big fan of the cosmic movies, the ones that are all space-bound and all. I love Guardians of the Galaxy because it did something fun with that environment. But in general, if you're going to show me a movie with a whole bunch of space stuff, that's not my favorite type of action superhero movie. So hmm. uh, so I was a little, a little low on expectations going in. But to answer your question, yes, it is an origin movie. I think this film, though, does a really interesting job of doing something different with the origin story. And I will say, I really like this film more than I expected to. It's not perfect. It has some flaws. But I think in general, based on my expectations going in, I'm pleasantly surprised. I found myself entertained the whole time. I thought the origin story was done, like I said, in a creative way that... Made you put a lot more thought into it. It wasn't just so clearly laid out for you. There were enough twists and turns in the story to keep it interesting. And I thought Brie Larson was very well cast in the role. I'll get to some misgivings in a little bit because it's not a perfect movie. I don't feel, but I do feel like for the directors, you know, this is uh, Anna Bowden, Ryan Fleck, who have normally done very low budget independent films. Sure. For this being their first big budget film dealing with special effects and being part of a franchise universe, I thought they did a really good job with it. Again, better than my expectations. So I, I am giving a positive endorsement to this film personally. But Chris, that's all given. I, anybody who listens to the show knows I'm probably going to give a good review to a Marvel film. I'm really curious to know what you thought because <laughs> I... I know you have been a little more harsh on the Marvel films. I think in just superhero films in general, but the Marvel films, the way the the bigger storylines and how nothing is ever really complete standalone kind of bugs you a bit. So my question back to you, does this film do anything to help increase your respect for this series or does it just amplify your desire to see them vanish to dust after Thanos' <laughs> snap? <laughs> right, right. Oh, Avengers. Um, so... Yeah, I, I liked this movie, and I'm a big fan of Brie Larson. Um, you know, Short Term 12, some of the other f movies she's been in, um, Room. I, mm -hmm. I like her as an actress. Yeah. And so when I saw she was cast as Captain Marvel, I'm like, huh, interesting. She's going to be in a franchise movie. And, you know, 
Um, I thought she did a good job. I, I felt like my advantage with a lot of the Marvel stuff is I don't know backstory. Right. And I think, I think in this instance, it probably helped me a lot. And you're saying you didn't really know a lot of the backstory either. No, not really. Because I guess, you know, origin stories, if you don't know the origin story can be interesting just because you don't know it. Yes. Whereas if they're just retelling it, like, you know, how many more times, I guess with the new Spider-Man, we probably won't see another origin story because at least he's got three or four more movies in him. <laughs> but like, yeah. how many times can we see, oh, he gets bit by a spider. Oh, you know, it's like, we're done. Well, you know, we're the latest Spider-Man movie actually kind of acknowledged that and said, right. we're not even going to tell an origin <laughs> story because you know it. You've right. seen it multiple right. times. Right. So I think, you know, for me, this was cool just because it was a character I'd never really heard of. Yeah. And I enjoyed kind of learning about this character. Um, the mere fact, actually, when they announced, oh, there's going to be a Captain Marvel movie, I assumed Captain Marvel was a dude. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know there was. So there actually is, I guess, a dude version of Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah, I'll maybe. get into the whole backstory. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, just, just that <laughs> yeah. fact, I was like, oh, Captain Marvel, A, is a lady, and B, it's going to be played by B. Larson. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So altogether, I liked the film. I've heard some people complain that they're a little bothered um, because it goes, it's kind of a throwback. There was a gap in the Marvel Cinematic Universe where you were where we are now and they started like in the, I guess, 80s or something. I don't know, somehow, but this is like in the 90s to where no Marvel movie technically has covered this specific time frame. So they kind of skipped around it. But people are really irritated because they kind of roll their eyes a lot of the references like there's a blockbuster video and they they feel like it's too overly cutesy or anything that didn't bother me granted i guess it kind of scratches my nostalgia itch because i was growing up during that time if you were looking for it um looking for those references and trying to like find them all yeah you could find a bunch but if you're i was just trying to enjoy the environment i think they recreated the 90s and even the use of music i i like the use of we'll get to that I like the use of music for the most part. Um, there were three or four track selections that I'm like, yep, that, that put me in the right mood. That, that worked for me. Uh, there was one didn't care for, but we'll probably get to that when you're talking about music in a little bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, now the nineties references didn't bother me. I mean, it is set in the nineties. I mean, when we watch a movie that's set in the eighties, there's eighties stuff all sure. over. I mean, you watch stranger things on Netflix, it's all eighties references and everybody's cool with that. <laughs> so I'm okay with it. I, I like the fact that, you know, it was a flashback movie for the whole universe. You know, we're seeing something that we know it's the first prequel we've had to the Marvel universe in a way, all the films we've had have been current day. Gotcha. So this is the first one where we're seeing a whole movie. It takes place in place the 90s. That's kind of a prequel to what we're I see. building up to okay. now. Yeah. So I'll say, I'll say, I'll echo you on Brie Larson. I think nicely cast. And the things I do know about Captain Marvel in the comics is that she is somewhat a little on the arrogant side, a little very self-assured, a little reckless, hmm. but very, very, you know, uh, focused and determined individual and just a, a really great warrior, great soldier. I think Brie Larson plays that off really well. She I, gives I a little bit of so. that kind of a little bit of that cocky nature, a little bit of arrogance to her. Um, but yet what I loved most about her performance is there's some moments where you can just tell her characters having fun. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of moments in some fights. I think there's one scene where like her hands are bound by something and she's not able to use her whatever photon blast, whatever they are. <laughs> but then when they finally break free and she's able to cut loose, she kind of gives a yes, you know, yeah. like it just goes nuts with it. I'm like, 
that's something we don't see in a lot of these characters where they're honestly having fun with what they're able to do. Right. And I think that was really cool. And she played that off really well. So um, I wish they had gotten a little bit more of the emotional side of her. Um, she goes through the ringer with some things, you know, some things she learns about her past and some things that come up as revelations, things that I think would kind of tear apart some people and really frustrate them and upset them. I don't know if Brie Larson kind of nailed that aspect of the character where she didn't seem terribly affected by all the stuff that was going on around her. Although I think anybody else would, Hmm. but other than that, the rest of her performance I thought was really strong. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more getting hit with the emotional weight of what's happening to her or what has happened to her. But overall she played it really cool. She was trying to play it as a very strong individual. She did that. So I certainly respect that. That was a, a really good, strong performance. How did you feel about? We've talked a lot about Brie Larson. How did you feel about some of the other people in the film? Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury, uh, Ben Mendelsohn and Jude Law were also in the film. How, how did you feel about um, those gentlemen who you've probably so heard their names I, before? Yeah, Ben Ben Mendelsohn played the lead scroll. Scroll were the alien race that we are seeing as the antagonist for the film. Um, I can't say too much about his performance other than to say it was surprising and surprising in a good way. Okay. Um, we have a certain notion of Ben Mendelsohn we've seen in movies like Rogue One and others where he plays a very menacing bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he got to have a little more fun with this role eventually. And I think it was really interesting for the film and I liked where they took his character. So I'm high on his performance I'm on the same page with that. I thought Jew Laws was pretty disposable. I didn't really think he added a lot to the movie and was it was a really slight role, much slighter than I expected. Yeah, I thought he was he was fine in it, but just something about maybe the writing for his character, mm. something about the way it was handled direction wise. Yeah, I I feel like yeah, it was disposable, which was kinda of surprising to me. But you know. Now Samuel Jackson is Nick Fury. I mean, he's still playing the same character, just a much younger, a little more inexperienced version of him, but he still had that same I, I I thought the de aging process on him was really. Po- I mean, he looked yeah. like he was probably what twenty eight, thirty, thirty two yeah. years old. Sure. Um, now, granted, part of that is just Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson just always looks younger than he is, anyway. <laughs> but I, I think whatever they did to kind of de age him worked really well. Sure. I liked seeing a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more clueless, a little bit more uh, not quite put together Nick Fury, mm-hmm. and I thought that was kind of a fun way to to see him in the film as well. So overall, I thought acting was good across the board. I thought, you know, I, I, I think uh, Jude Law is probably the one weak spot where I just didn't feel like that character was really done much with. So this is a pretty heavy hitting question. How do you feel about the origin story? Since that's what we're talking about here. Origin story of the eye patch. I mean, this is a pretty heavy hitting. <laughs> where do you fall on that, Alan? Are I, uh, you satisfied <laughs> with the origin of the eye patch or are you dissatisfied? I actually am. Yeah, okay. I thought it was kind of fun because okay. you kind of knew. You kind of knew once Nick a certain Fury, character, Nick Fury's eye patch. I'll just once a certain it. character is introduced in the film, and you find that Nick Fury and this new character kind of have a little bit of a bond. You kind of have an idea of where it's going to go and what's going <laughs> to cause the eye damage. So I thought that was a nice touch. They kind of played with your emotions a little bit, like giving you a couple moments earlier in the film where you think something's going to be the cause of his eye mm-hmm. to be damaged, and it turned out it wasn't. And then it was this other situation later on, right. which. I kind of expected. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I responded positively 
to that little yeah. diversion as well. What about the, 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 the framework of the story itself? I mean, this is told, there, there's a lot of emphasis on memory mm-hmm. and a lot of flashbacks. And right. I will say probably some very creative flashbacks too. It wasn't your traditional, I'm, you know, Captain Marvel sitting, floating out in space, thinking back in time. And all of a sudden I have a flashback. Sometimes they're jarring. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to place where we are in time. Um, there's even one scene which I thought was really cool where they're actually scrubbing her memories and right. narrating it as they're doing so. How did you feel about that that concept uh, storytelling for the origin? I thought it was uh, unique and it was disorienting for me so much so that I uh, was watching it with my my wife and kids and my wife kind of leaned over. She's like, wait, what what's happening? I'm like, yeah, I think just we'll just kind of ride this out. And she's like, okay, it kind of yeah. became clear, but yeah, I mean, for a Marvel, Marvel movie that's, you know, general audience, they're not trying to do usually any mind-bending stuff yet. Kind of how that scrubbing scene you talked about at first, you're kind of like, wait, what? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought it was neat. I thought it was well, interesting. I really love the fact that it wasn't just watching her memories and kind of you hear a narrator who's like watching them almost like on a computer screen kind of talking about them. But the fact that she's able, she was hearing that person's voice in a way and it was kind of guiding her to change some of her memory. It was, it was pretty trippy and I liked it. It was definitely unique and I'm all for anything they can do to kind of give a real unique voice to these films going forward. I think it's something that I've only seen the film once. I would like to see it again. And I think watching the film as a whole now, now that I kind of know things that are going to happen watching that scene again, I think would be, I think it would make it even more rewarding sure. on a second watch. So, you know, if you think about it, I, I do want to get some, some issues sure. with the film in a minute, but one last thing I'll say is, um, you know, as we look at films that have to deal with action, it's mm-hmm. always kind of tough when we see new directors, directors who don't typically work in action more times than not. I, I kind of fault the action scenes because I'm like, okay, well, they're obviously not action directors mm-hmm. trying to direct an action scene, and it maybe didn't work as well. I will say some of the ones later in the film I do have as kind of a, I don't think worked as well. I don't think they were quite as coherent or quite as fun to watch. But I will say the train sequence, like maybe in the first third of the film, yeah, I thought was really good. I agree. Really well done. So kudos to the directors on your first visible action scene on the screen i thought it was really handled really well and a lot of fun it was a fun sequence to watch in general i'll say before we kind of slide to some of the misgivings that you may have you mentioned a little bit about the directors um annabelle and ryan flack and how their background is not in this movie it's like you know yeah it's not an action movie like you just mentioned what i also didn't expect because i was just thinking this is going to be a simple origin story and not much else there's a moment in the film, which I won't go into spoilers, but there's basically a sit down with Captain Marvel and her team in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, it was kind of a revelation of things that happened. And I, it was like out Shyamalan, Shyamalan, as far as like glass or break or like the things they tried to do. And granted, this wasn't at the end of the film, but it was probably at the two third mark, I guess. And I, I've never would have never expected that going into a Marvel film. I can't yeah. think of when something like that really happened in a Marvel film or a comic book movie, really, or at least, yeah, maybe in just a Marvel movie, but it really kind of surprised me. And I, yeah. that, that kind of set at that point, I was like, okay, I like the movie so far, but they kind of put it on another level because of what they'd done with the film. So very cool. Yeah. I, um, 
Yeah, I think they did some really interesting things with the film. And, uh, you know, I look at it from a creativity standpoint. You know, the Marvel Universe films, I, I will not say not the most creative films. There's a lot more formulaic to it. It's it's They have a certain style that they kind of keep. But I would say between this film and Thor Ragnarok, mm-hmm. uh, Taika Waititi's movie, those two I felt like directors were given a little more free reign and say, all right, go do something a little more interesting with this. Don't just feel like you got to follow the same formulaic path right. where Thor Ragnarok went with the humor and absurdity and just kind of over the topness of it. This film really got to play with a little more character, a little more, uh, you know, the high dev memory and, and, and um, uh, thinking you know, flashbacks and all it just, it had some interesting things going on. So, Agreed. Good. So I will say a couple things that I don't think worked as well. I already mentioned the Captain Marvel character. I do feel like that there were some times and moments where we needed to see a little more emotion from her, given everything that was happening. Again, I love Die Hard, the action movie Die Hard with Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And I don't love it because of all the action scenes. I love it because the scenes when Bruce Willis, as John McClane, stops and realizes everything he's been going through. And he's on the radio with... Uh, the police officer on the ground and it kind of has a little bit of a breakdown saying, all right, yeah, I'm kind of going through the ringer on this stuff, but I got to build back up my courage and get back out there. I don't ever really feel like given all the stuff that was happening to um, Carol Danvers, the Captain Marvel character, I don't really mm-hmm. feel like we ever got those moments. She seemed a lot more flippant about everything that was happening to her than I think any good human being would be. <laughs> but again, I also know that she's, that's her persona is it's very strong. You know, she's very, um, uh, just very focused and, and, and doesn't let those things affect her as much. But I do feel like it causes a little bit of a disconnect with the character. I just don't feel like we got as close to her as maybe we could some other action heroes we've seen that we've admired in the past. So it's a little bit of a misgiving for me there. Um, I will say, like I said, some of the action scenes later in the film, especially the ones inside the spaceship, were just a little disjointed, a little hard to follow, and not as well done as the train sequence was, which I thought was was a great action scene. Okay. Um, I'd agree with that. And then there was – God, this is really nitpicky, but it, it did bug me. <laughs> the film does such a great job of playing with memories and flashing back and kind of keeping us off balance – but there's a moment where Carol Danvers finds a bar that is part of her memories. And the yes. film, for some reason, does something I thought was just didn't really fit the style of the film at all. It was it was she's looking around the bar and as she's looking around, almost like these images start appearing of her back in the past, either mm-hmm. singing karaoke or playing on the arcade game. It was kind of I thought it was kind of a hokey effect. It kind of pulled me out of the film a little bit. It just. It didn't. It didn't match what they had done so well in playing with her memories hmm. to kind of do this really just very obvious, little bit of a hokey gimmick on her, almost fading in and out of those different parts of the bar as you see. Again, nitpicky, but it's like they were doing so well with playing off this idea of memories, and I felt like that was just hmm. a little too on the nose. It didn't need to be there that way. And some of the musical cues that accompanied that part too were a little were a little off. But did you have any concerns, anything that didn't work for you in the film? You know, not really. Um, the one wow. thing that the cinematic battle or in, that was in space or climactic battle, you know, some of the stuff in the ship was okay, but then it, I felt like it went on a little long and it kind of got disjointed. And you're like, wait, I don't understand why that happened when yeah. it seemed like that had already been resolved. Right. 
and some of Captain Marvel flying around in space, blowing stuff up, kind of, kind of. But little, you know, it was. But really, that's her character, I think, because in comic books she flies through and like blows stuff up. And it's but, a relatively short sequence. I mean, it's not like a typical Marvel film where the last fifteen twenty minutes is just a big CGI battle. Right. This was like a five minute little sequence at the end, which I thought worked because we're supposed to see the enormity of some of her power, right. and I thought it did it pretty well. Um, uh, did but you, that, that's basically my, you know, that one part. I guess up until that part, it had been kind of grounded, like the train sequence. Yeah. Or her just shooting off the photon blast or whatever, but it wasn't like flying and shooting off. You know, it wasn't over the top. And then when it got to be, it had been so normal, quote unquote, for the movie. And then when it got to like this hyper kinetic bouncing around stuff, it not that it lost me. I was like, oh, okay. Well, here's the contractually obligated, like yeah. <laughs> big CGI sequence. But you're right. It's not as bad. As some others, well, I was expecting so. it to be bad. I mean, <laughs> right. that's the thing I was probably nervous about going in. Sure. Like, oh, there's going to be a big 15-minute CGI space battle with all these spaceships and people flying around in space. And I'm like, okay, no, this actually worked. It was a short sequence, relatively short sequence, and it had a purpose to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I liked it a lot. I, I think uh, two other, you know, I don't have any negatives, but I'll just state my two other quick positives really quick. Um, <laughs> Stanley. Mm-hmm. Um, his cameo in this one, because it was kind of referencing something very specific, mm-hmm. um, I thought was really cool. Um, it and you normally get a little tired of I all do. the cameos. I do. And yeah. Specifically, yeah. I mean, I get tired of the cut scenes at the end of the movie or kind of the teaser yeah. scenes at the end, the credit scenes. I get tired of those and I get tired of Stanley. I guess it helps that, you know, he passed away and you're mm-hmm. kind of sad. And this is like, I feel like, for me, at least, this was a really good one. This combined with the one in Into the Spider-Verse were really good ones for him to kind of go out on. Yeah, no, it was, so, a, it was a clever, thought it was <laughs> it was clever. A clever moment there, referencing a uh, something he did back in the 90s. It was very time appropriate with right. that cameo there. No, I'll say getting into, I guess, and then you can transition to the, any additional negatives or misgivings you have. I don't really have too many others. But um, the music, I did uh, overall appreciate I liked there's a scene at the end where she's coming into revelation. She's learning a lot of, about a lot of stuff and come as you are by Nirvana is played. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then in the end credits, uh, celebrity skin celebrity by skin. hole is played. It's a great needle drop when that credit sequence starts and when that song kicks in. So, right. Yeah. And so I think there's also, and I, you can't help but think it's intentional. There's things you can read into that because obviously hole is fronted by Courtney love and it's a mm-hmm. woman and the album was done without her husband who had passed away, who was Kurt Cobain, who did oh, sure. come as you are. So there's, there's things you can read into about, you know, feminism, empowerment of women, things like that. So plus it's that, just got a great guitar riff. It, it so you know, it definitely well. works in the film for that. <laughs> so I, thought, I thought that was interesting. If I was to say a misgiving, I think just personally, cause I don't care for the song that much. Oh, um, the no doubt song, just a girl yeah. or whatever. Well, no that, doubt, yeah. that was the one I was going to say. Maybe a little, it was a too, little on the nose. too on the nose. Yeah. But, and it didn't fit the style of the film at all. I think music wise, yeah. it just, yeah, that one, that one was a little bit of a groaner when it started up. I'm like, Oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> Everything else was great because again, she also in the film, she seems to be someone who's really into the grunge movement back in yes. the nineties and all. So I wanted oh, I all the movie. Dorky the, me loved her wearing the nine inch nails. Shirt. Oh yeah, absolutely. Was awesome. <laughs> so it's like all the music should have been in that, that genre to go with the no doubt, just a girl during a fight scene, which was already a little chaotic fight scene anyway, kind of hard to follow and then have that music play that, that whole sequence didn't work for me as well. Same here. Um, 
But overall, I will say out of all the Marvel films, you know, if I were to sort them top to bottom, which, you know, I have. But um, <laughs> okay, this is probably in the top third of those films. Okay. You know? So better than average. And yeah, not quite one quick, of the best ones for me. Real but, quick, because I know, you know. it's, it's, it's kind of hard. What would be your top Marvel oh, movies? Chris, I have a spreadsheet Because here. I'm actually, I'm not going to say Captain Marvel is my favorite, but it's probably up there. Like you, yeah. you're saying it's in the top third. I'm saying it might be in my top five. That's okay. how much I like. Of just well, the Marvel ones, not the DC, but the Marvel I only ones. Have, I only have five or four that are above it, so I guess it is in my top five. Okay. Uh, Guardians the, of the Galaxy, the first one. Is that number one? That's number one. That's okay. my favorite Marvel movie. Okay. Captain America, the first Avenger. The first Captain America is my okay. number two. Spider-Man Homecoming is number three. Okay. Uh, Iron Man, the original one, is number four. And then Captain Marvel. Hmm. So, yeah, it's out of the 20 films. Actually, I guess it's in the top 25%. Interesting. Top you know, my homework from this episode, I'm going to rank the 5 million Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Because I'd, I'd like to know where Captain Marvel falls. Yeah. Um, I'm like, and this is a recent one that you and I discussed on the show. I mean, semi-recent. Black Panther. Black Panther started really strong and then kind of petered out for me because yeah. it got into kind of the CGI, that big battle at the end just didn't work for me. And it kind of lost a little bit. Plus Killmonger was really disappointing when he wasn't on screen. Cause I really liked that character. That was, and that had me kind of worried with Captain Marvel because I thought, uh Oh, it started good. I'm like, is it going to be able to maintain mm-hmm. my interest in it? And it did. So that's, I was pleasantly surprised. And actually, so, you, in, so you're saying you're actually going to, you're going to rate the films. I oh, think yeah? I am. That's, that's going to be my awesome. homework is I'm going to okay. try to rank them. I'll say on an end note, kind of tying up Captain Marvel. Um, she might be the reason that I'm excited to see Avengers Endgame. Uh, well, see, yes, that was my last question. I have seen the little, I guess the new trailer yeah. for Avengers Endgame, where it shows the meet cute between Thor, who's one of my favorite Marvel characters, and her. And yeah, I, I like that. I know some people, you said in the past how... At least when they play Thor as kind of a, a dummy or an airhead sometimes, how that kind of gets on your nerves. Mm-hmm. I like everything they've ever done with the Thor character. I love Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Hmm. And I I I liked I like that. So that gives me granted that's probably like the only sense of that we'll get in the entire movie, maybe. Well but here here's okay. the thing. I, and I know we're we're technically reviewing Captain Marvel and we both like sure. it, so yeah, we're good. All we done. won't we won't relive so Infinity War. <laughs> I will say the whole end game, which is coming out in just another month. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like three it's coming up. Now. It's coming up. Um, I'm generally very excited for the film. A, because it's just, you know, it's a continuation of this whole universe, which I like anyway. But sure. B, they've got an opportunity to do something really interesting with this film. Everything, according to the Marvel people, they say everything you've seen in trailers or anything else is the first 20 to 30 minutes of the film only. In other words, they're not showing anything from the last whatever. That's good. Which I think is good. I'm like, I hope they stick to that. Because if that's true, then that means there's a whole lot we're not, we haven't seen. We have no idea what direction it's going to go. And then if they are well, going to we have a slight understanding uh, considering there's Spider-Man Far From Home. See, and I think Sony, I bet you Marvel and Sony have had such heated words behind the scenes. Because Marvel's done so good about not talking about anything they're doing after this film. Right. But Sony owns the rights for the Spider-Man films. And they're like, oh, well, we're still going to promote the Spider-Man movie that comes out in July. Well, he went so, to dust. I know. So <laughs> I'm sure Marvel is really hating that they did that. Because if it was Marvel's call. 
I don't think they would be releasing any trailers for the new Spider-Man movie until the day after the Avengers movie comes out. Right. It's like, oh, by the way, in three months, new Spider-Man movie coming out. Right. But anyway, that being said, yeah, Sony did kind of ruin the whole experience. (laughs) Although nobody really expected that all those characters are gone, but still, it at least preserves some of that mystique to it. Um, No, I'm excited for the film. I really am. Because I think the directors, the Russo brothers, have done some really great stuff. Mm -hmm. I think the the whole franchise is an interesting spot. Um, I kind of want to see how they're going to resolve everything. Kind of curious about that. But you Um, know because you've read the comics. Is that correct? No. No. Mm -mm. I really don't. Okay. Um, I mean, I think they had a similar storyline in the comics, but I think it went in a whole different direction. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Okay. Now, this is all going to be very new. Okay. For a lot of people. So, yeah. So, that is uh, Captain Marvel. Um, we both were positive on the film. It may be one of Chris' top Marvel films. Maybe. And it's That's in the homework. top. It's in the top quarter for me as well. So, I think we both really respected it and like to see them doing something a little more interesting with these films, which I think they were able to accomplish in this one. Yeah. All right, Captain Marvel still playing pretty much everywhere at this point by the time you hear this. So and will be for quite some time. Probably will be until uh, Avengers Endgame comes out. And then yeah. it'll all switch over to that one. So. Sure. All right. Let's uh, move on to our next review, which is the uh, biopic uh, of Laurel and Hardy, the comedy duo from uh, earlier in the uh, 20th century. Uh, it is Stan and Ollie. Pretty empty last night. I guess people just don't want to see Laurel and Hardy anymore. Has he been pushing you a little too hard, babe? You know, Stan. You could have said goodbye, Oliver, a long time ago. We had a good thing going, but you had this big chip on your shoulder because I did a picture with someone else. I couldn't sleep for days when they told me what you did. You're just a lazy ass. Got lucky because you met me. Lucky to spend my life with a man who hides behind his typewriter? You betrayed me. Betrayed our friendship. You're hollow. Chris, in the film Stan and Ollie, I, I don't even know if I really need to give the IMDb sun, synopsis of the film, but I will anyway, just for anybody listening. Laurel and Hardy, the world's most famous comedy duo, attempt to reignite their film careers as they embark on what became their swan song, a grueling theater tour of post-war Britain. So that summary tells you that, you know, yes, it's a biopic. Yes, we are a film about two people that actually did exist. Um, but taking a little bit of a different slant, instead of giving us the full range of their career, we really focus in on, honestly, what was probably just a few weeks of time, I think, uh, in the film, from what I could tell, maybe a couple months, uh, late in their career. It really was considered their swan song. They had kind of passed their peak. So they are now touring um, England and Britain and Europe, mainly because they're trying to build up some enthusiasm for what they're hoping is going to be a movie they're going to be doing. But also it's just a last chance effort to make some money off their routine um, and still stay in the public front as well. Chris, we've we've talked about biography movies before. Sure. We've had kind of hit or miss relationships with biography movies. The ones that are very formulaic and kind of stick to the, the same cookie cutter formula uh, don't always work for us very well. We think there's a, lo- a lot, lot to be desired. The question I've always asked is, is it, is it better as a documentary or did it make sense for this to be an acted out film? If all a biography of film is going to do is hit you with all the important moments of somebody's career reenacted, then I'd almost rather watch a documentary about it and learn about it that way. But then you have some biography films that do some interesting things 
and make you happy that you're seeing an acted, more directed version of that story. Where does Stan and Ollie fall for you? Is it something where you would have just assumed watch a documentary about these later years of this comedy duo? Or do you think the acted, acted scripted version adds something to the story and is, uh, is worthwhile entertainment on its own? Well, I guess for me, um, a lot depends on how much I know, kind of like with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, how much I know of the subject. Yeah. And if I know a lot, then just seeing a greatest hits, you know, by an actor portraying them, it's probably not going to be that interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I'd, you know, much rather see like a documentary that maybe reveals some stuff I didn't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Laurel and Hardy, I actually remember when I was very, very young, my parents went to some type of conference and they stuck me in like a hotel room with a bunch of other kids and they put on Three Stooges reruns and Laurel and Hardy reruns. Mm-hmm. And hmm. it's really or like movies and stuff. And so, you know, I remember having this very faint memory of like seeing some of that stuff and I'm like, yeah, I just kind of don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so watching this film was kind of fun because it recalled that memory for me, but it also made me appreciate Laurel and Hardy as artists, as comedians of a different time, but it didn't drag me through all the bullet points of their career. Like you're talking about the framing of the movie is like you're saying, they kind of show you a point in their career where they're doing good. And then flashes forward 16 years later and they're kind of at their swan song period. Mm -hmm. And that as a framing device, it worked for me. Hmm. Um, It was the movie we, you and I just saw it last night. Uh, Some of the foot candle members were mentioning how they thought it was kind of slow and uh, it wasn't slow for me. I think I have just appreciated getting to know the characters and actually you can't talk about the movie without talking about the transformation of Steve Coogan, but more importantly, John C. Riley into Stan and Ollie, you know, John C. Riley has a ton of makeup, uh, a huge suit that he's wearing to have him gain the weight and everything. I just thought it was impressive, but never so much so that John C. Riley was just relying on the makeup or the suit to give the performance. They, mm-hmm. To me, they embody, from what little I know about Stan and Ollie, and of course they do the obligatory thing at the end with the credits where they show you mm-hmm. images of the people doing dances or you know doing skits or whatever, yeah. like these people. It, it worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you? Uh, no, I, I will say, I, I'm going to say that I, I'm going to give this film a pass, like a good pass. <laughs> um, I thought it was a, a nice, very simple, endearing film that your enjoyment of, I think, will vary completely on whether or not you have any interest in these two as a, as a comedy duo in their history. Hmm. I, I do have some, some misgivings with the film. I think the film isn't 100% successful in what it's trying to do. But I will say that Riley and Coogan, as the two leads, were both really good. Were both really strong in their performances. Um, and outside of even just the makeup work, I mean, I think just acting in general, yes. I think they both were, were good. I would agree. And I don't know Laurel and Hardy. And that's maybe part of the issue with the film for me is that you're right. If you know the characters and you know, then going into straight into the swan song period is great because it's like, yeah, I know who these people are, but I've never explored this period of their career. The problem for me, and I think for a lot of people watching the film is, we don't really know much about Laurel and Hardy's career the whole way through. 
So to kind of throw us into their career for like a 10 minute intro scene and then thrust us forward 17 years, I think the film loses some of that emotional connection you can feel with the characters because you weren't there through the good and bad times. You don't, I, I still struggle to try to find, try to really find the core center of their friendship. And it's hinted at and it's mentioned in passing, but it's hard for me to, 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 they go with them through their ups and downs later in the film. If I didn't have that foundation already built. Interesting. So that's, I'm not saying the film is unsuccessful, but I'm saying the film could have been more successful. I think if it had done something to build up more of that emotional core of the partnership between the two of them, hmm. you know, when we first meet them early in the film, it's truly, they're just bantering about their days, about their wives, about trips they're taking. It's great. They're friends. We get that. Right. But, it's not, I'm not seeing the kind of friendship yet that is going to persevere for the next 17 years and cause them to have quite the emotional connection they do later on in life. Hmm. And I think the film could have done a little more to help illustrate that better for us. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's not my, not my experience okay. at all. Um, sure. Something about the way, I guess, like I said, I responded to the framing, but also, you know, they, they kind of mention in the film, they show posters of Abbott and Costello and they mentioned Charlie Chaplin and there's some guy who I can't remember his name, but they're kind of mentioning he's one of the new people that's coming on the scene as far as this type of comedy that Laurel and Hardy are doing and kind of how they're being passed by. And that for me kind of took a different angle on the movie. It was kind of a study on fame and instead of having somebody's downfall be because of drugs or alcohol, which they actually had apparently sworn off alcohol at this point. Mm -hmm. um, it's just interesting to see like, no, the world has moved on from yep. the type of comedy. And I think if I had, and you know, I thought some of their bits were funny, but the problem is I've seen so many of their ideas in things like the three stooges or in even Looney Tunes mm -hmm. cartoons that it's boring to me because I've, I've seen the more recent versions of it. I haven't seen sure. the origins of it. Yep. And I think if we had, for me, I wouldn't have been interested in seeing a lot of the progression of their routines or anything like that. Like, because it, it would have bored me, but it, I was kind of able to sympathize with them, but yet see the audience, how I can see how the world's moved on because the type of comedy, I feel like you can only get so much mileage out of. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was just, yeah. it was an interesting, an interesting study of their friendship, which, but also of like just the nature of fame. And then there's a lot of business transactions that don't, you know, they're having to deal with doing PR so they can get people to their shows. And like, I wasn't expecting that. And I just, I don't know. I I really, I really responded to it. I think, mm. yeah. And even it's PG film mm -hmm. and you kind of know, but I appreciate the way that they show a falling out of Laurel and Hardy through a flashback, but kind of at the beginning of the film, you know that this was something significant that happened. So for me, there was kind of a melancholy over the whole film and you kind of get the idea. Yeah. They're kind of hard on their luck. They're not as high on the hog as they used to be. And so that kind of surprised me that that tone was kind of lingering for the whole movie, but there's still, you know, some funny bits. And then at the end, how the movie resolves, I was worried that something was going to happen mm -hmm. and it didn't, but I didn't feel too played by that. I kind of, 
I don't know. I appreciated uh, it without going say, into spoiler territory. Well, about I was going to say the ending, the whole ending performance and kind of the situation around that I thought was really well done. I enjoyed Which it. Which could have come across sappy to some people. And I, but I, for me, and it, it worked. did play a little on the sentimentality side, but I think it was very authentic. It came across to me as authentic and, and I liked it. Yeah. The, the, the set design, the art design, the look and the feel of the film was really, was really positive and strong. I love the fact that it did focus in on this one period of their time in their history. I just didn't feel quite the emotional connection that I think would have worked really, really made the ending powerful. Hmm. I felt a little distance from it just because I felt like we, we were, we were learning about these two characters at times where relationships and their feelings had already been cemented so much that I didn't have the backstory to really understand how they got to that point. Uh, you know, they made a passing reference about how they were kind of put together by the studio all the, that time when they started long time back. And how they just only got to spend time with one another. They, when they go on a movie set, they only know each other. They don't know everybody else. Correct. Great little moments, but I never felt that. You know, I just I never felt that throughout the film. So I just didn't have the, quite that emotional connection to it. But I think technically, as a film, and, and uh, obviously the, from the acting perspective, I thought it was really, really good and positive and strong. I think, yeah, I, it seems like I'm a little higher on the film than yeah. than you may be, but sure. I can see your your misgivings about some of the relationship. And for me, it wasn't as much as the relationship. I feel like I bought that, but there were certain threads that I feel like they threw out there that could have been pulled a little tighter and revealed more of the characters or the people themselves. For instance, you know, apparently Ollie has a gambling problem, right? And just the toll that that took on maybe prior wives or something like, it's just kind of, well, and again, they threw out, out there. A, a scene about the gambling, right? But then it never really had any impact, right? You know, and then, it's like, and then there's the drinking stuff too that kind of is thrown out there. And I think the thing is, maybe their focus was, which you know, it is a PG film, but maybe they were a little too cautious on, you know, showing faults. You know, it's like, oh, he kind of gambles and maybe he wastes his money. Isn't that you know not cute? But isn't it just like, oh well, but in the end it doesn't drag him down. And you're like, well, you feel like maybe if they weren't putting him on a pedestal too much mm-hmm. that maybe they would have revealed and it would have humanized a little more and would have gotten into some of the relationship stuff. That I think that's part about. of what I was, what I was missing from that. Like, for example, I, you know, we, we see them in the beginning of the film and it's back in the late 1930s when they're at the peak of their stardom and we see them kind of on the studio set and how popular they are and people know them and all. And then we see, a business transaction going on that we kind of get the impression is going to have some negative effects on them. Mm -hmm. Then we flash forward 17 years later. So during a lot of that time, there was a rift between Laurel and Hardy, but yet here they are back together. They seem perfectly fine with one another. They seem to be just like they always have been. They're kind of joking with each other. They're sharing stories. They're traveling together or having a good time. And then it's just one moment kind of out of the blue at a dinner party some of this stuff comes up and I'm like, okay, which they had hinted at before they hinted, but it's just a matter of, you know, I, I felt like we weren't, I didn't really feel like there was enough. I don't know how I'm describing. I just don't feel like the, the film did enough to show us how strong their friendship was and how this period of time had kind of worn it down or maybe weathered a bit. And now here's a chance to rekindle that friendship and get strong again. Hmm. It's almost like they were always kind of the same level of friends. And, oh, now we have a, we're going to bring up something from the past and we're going to get upset. 
and we're going to have this this situation going on, but then we come back together real quick again. It just I don't think it played with those relationships as thoroughly as it could have to make it an even more impactful film. Hmm. Again, I thought the ending was really nice and well done, but man, that ending would have been so powerful <laughs> if we had really built up their friendship and understand the call, the root of their friendship and how they it's grown stronger over the years. And now they're faced with a possible uh, issue between them. And how do they get past that? It could have been a really tear jerking, powerful ending. And as it was now, it was a nice friendly ending, but I, right. I could have used a lot more. I was something that stuck out to me about the movie. And at first it kind of threw me off a little bit. And I'd be interested to hear your perception of it was, you know, I mentioned their comedy, you know, it is, it is dated. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way they would kind of blend the situations they were living as their lives with bits that they were doing. There's a hotel check-in. <laughs> there's opening car doors for their wives. There's stands hitting at a film producer's office where they're clearly doing bits. Okay. But for instance, at the beginning of the hotel check-in thing, I didn't know that was a bit. I was just kind of right. like, this is jarring to me. Like they're showing a really funny, like outlandish situation, but why are they doing this? It's like, it was weird. But then I was like, Oh, I get it. It's like they're performing cause they're coming Always into this hotel. Yeah. And that they're going to kind of leads into some of the fame stuff that I could appreciate. But it was like, they were weaving funny things that were happening to, in life with actual bit situations that they were doing. There's a sequence that wasn't a bit that they just kind of threw in there about a, a trunk at a train station Yeah, that wasn't a bit, but it was obviously something and it happened and it was funny, but they were just kind of looking at each other like, you know, and so it was, I don't know. I thought that was kind of a clever thing that the director tried to do that I wasn't expecting. Well, supposedly one of their films, there's a huge long extended sequence about suitcases keep falling down the stairs, trying to move things in. So the fact that it actually happened, that it inspired, you know, they weren't trying to do a bit, but it was like, Oh yeah, we've seen this before. And you know, yeah, we're, we're, we know where this goes. Well, and I think too, commenting on how I felt like, I felt like I got, I guess just because when we see them at the beginning of the film and they're good friends and they're just like talking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I was like, I'm just, okay. I can tell these guys are really good friends. We see them 17 years later and you can still see that. Or I felt like Ollie was the affable public face, always kind of fun where Stan was more of the business person, Mm -hmm. the writer and more kind of like he was focused and you, I felt like I could see his comedy mind. Like, for instance, that trunk thing, he's like, okay, filing that away. Or, you know, it's like when things would happen, he's like, I'm going to file this away to make this bit out of it. So that was kind of interesting. Now, whether or not some of those things happened in that order, or that's where he got some of the ideas for the whole movie or the 16 years later part, he's working supposedly on coming up with a script for a Robin Hood movie and just seeing what we think is a comedic mind at work, whether or not, you know, he actually was coming up with those scenes, who knows, but that was interesting. Actually, one of the end notes of the film is Stan continued apparently to write routines for Laurel and Hardy up until his death. So I thought that was, I don't know, it was interesting. I I guess my problem for me is as I really start to think about it on on the way the, the film was structured and kind of how it played up the relationships, them going from the first 10 minutes of the film, which is, um, at peak of their success to the very next scene, which if it wasn't for the title card 17 years later, okay. Mm -hmm. If it's just all of a sudden they show up at a hotel, Hey, we're doing a tour and we're also gonna be working on a movie. 
if it hadn't been for the fact that the makeup was a little grayer on the hair, a little right. more lines on the face, I wouldn't have known anything had changed in their relationship. But because they were acting just like they were in the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie when we saw them back at the peak of their stardom, they were acting towards each other the exact same way. They just looked a little older, and we had the title card saying 17 years later. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known anything had changed because I don't feel like we really saw any difference in their friendship. Hmm. And again, because we didn't have a foundation of their friendship other than this opening shot to do that. So again, I'm just interesting. It's just, I think the film could have done made some different choices on how to tell the story that would have given us a little more of a foundation to build off of what they were trying to get us to feel throughout the rest of the film. Hmm. You know? So interesting. We could keep picking this one apart. Yeah. I, I, yeah, again, it's, this is random, but seems like with both Captain Marvel and Stan Ali, I am higher than you than, that is, then what, and I, I think for me unique. to be more positive on both movies than you are, that's that's Which different. Which is crazy because Especially one of them's I love movie. movies about Hollywood and about acting and about behind the scenes things. And of course, I like the Marvel superhero movies, but here in both these films, you like them both better than me. Yeah, it's odd. No, I like Captain Marvel. I just right. you you. I think you hold it in higher esteem because it was probably a little more of a surprising. Pleasant surprise for I think, you. Yeah, I think uh, that is. Where I expected it to be probably pretty good. It was a little better than I expected it well, to be. And I think I think with Stan and Ollie, if we're going to kind of couch it in those terms, Stan and Ollie was a little bit more of a surprise for me. Hmm. I thought it was going to be more of a traditional timeline film or you wouldn't have the gap, the 17-year gap or 16-year gap. I, I thought it, you wouldn't see kind of the weaving of the – the comedy bits and their inspiration. You wouldn't see it. There was a lot going on for what I thought was just going to be a typical, a more typical biopic. Yeah. Um, and I thought the only thing I would get out of this really were the performances of Coogan and Riley. And I, I got a lot more. So I think, Good. I think it's all about, you know, we've mentioned for expectations, maybe yeah. <laughs> I'm being surprised. Sure. So. Well, Sally, it sounded like you went in to both films, a little lower expectations maybe than I did. And you were pleasantly surprised by both. Me, I went in with a little higher expectations on both of them hmm. um, and came away feeling, you know, okay on Stan and Ollie and still feel better than my expectations, but they were already relatively high to begin with on Captain Marvel. So, gotcha. all right, I think we've analyzed that whole situation enough at this point. <laughs> Fair so, enough. That's our two reviews for today. So Stan and Ollie uh, didn't really get much of a theatrical run. I'm sure it'll be online before too long, but if it is still playing in a couple of select cities, uh, Chris absolutely recommends you check it out. I say, yeah, it's it's a good movie. Um, I, I think it has some issues, but overall, I'm glad it exists as opposed to not existing as a film. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So you wouldn't Thanos snap your fingers? No, no, away. I wouldn't make that one vanish to dust. I'm good okay. with it. So. Fair enough. We're going to take a quick little break, Chris. Now we're done with our reviews. And when we come back, we're going to tackle some movie news, go over a few productions that are in progress, talk about some film projects we hear that sound interesting to us. And then we'll close out the show with our each of us giving our recommendation. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Hey, this is Andrew Moose from the Street Circle Drive podcast here on The Mesh. Interested in promoting your business to an online audience? Your ad could be right here. Consider advertising on The Mesh Podcast Network. Head over to TheMesh.TV for details. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Uh, this is Alan and Chris with you once again as we just finished our two reviews of Captain Marvel and Stan and Ollie earlier in the show. 
Uh, We'll move on to movie news here in just a moment, but just want to take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to this podcast on the mesh.tv network. We're happy to be a part of this online network. And if you visit the mesh.tv on your web browser of choice, you actually will be able to see not only our show in all back episodes of our program, but you can also check out other shows that are available online for free. You can either play them on the website or you can subscribe to any of the uh, popular podcast audio services and make sure you get every new episode of this show or any of our other shows delivered to you automatically when they're available um, throughout the month. So we hope you'll check it out, maybe find out a few other shows you like and check out some past episodes as well. But we do appreciate you listening to this show and supporting the Mesh Network. Chris, as we talk about movie news, uh, I understand you have something on your mind you want to talk about. Yeah, we've touched on it before in the past, um, but we've got two films coming down the pipeline pretty quickly here. So I wanted to kind of readdress it and re kind of nail down your thoughts slash my thoughts. Disney, kind of a big company. You may have heard of them. They started doing more recently kind of a series of retellings, reimaginings, some remakes, backstories of some of their animation, but they were bringing them to live action. Ones I'm talking about here are Maleficent, Cinderella, Jungle Book, Beauty and the Beast. Um, we've kind of, I don't think we've actually reviewed any of those on the show, but we've, we've we mentioned them in passing. Okay. I might've, I don't know if we mentioned the Jungle Book. That's the only one that I think one of us has mentioned at some point. Okay. We talked about, I don't know if it was a recommendation or if it was a, or what. Okay. So then Upcoming, we have Aladdin with Will Smith, which is coming out May 24th. And then we have The Lion King, which is July 19th. Um, You know, the Internet likes to get upset about things. Uh, (laughs) No, I've never seen that happen. They get upset about how people are changing their Star Wars movies. Mm -hmm. They get upset about how people are doing their Marvel superhero movies. And don't feel left out, Disney, which, you know, Marvel and Disney kind of same thing. But as far as animation being turned into live action, don't worry. You're going to get your fair share of flaming posts online because people are upset. Beauty and the Beast, I think we did touch on this because there was a controversy about a character in there and people felt like they were hinting at this character's orientation at one point. Uh, It was in Beauty and the Beast and that people got like really upset about it because families were going to the film and they just felt like there's all this like brouhaha. So the reason I'm bringing this up is there have also been people very frustrated with the new Aladdin film coming out that has Will Smith and with the Lion King. So, um, Alan, what are your thoughts? I'll share my thoughts in a minute, but I was just curious. What are your thoughts on either, either of those? Um, okay. Or the trend in general of Disney. Well, I'm not really doing? familiar. What's the, what's the criticism on the Lion King? Okay, um, well, let's start with that one. Sure. So, and I, I am kind of on board with this criticism. Um, they feel like with the Lion King, the opening sequence that they've released is kind of a trailer. It basically is a shot for shot, literal remake of the animation. And they're feeling like, yeah, the animators are just getting their cinematography, if you can call it that, in animation ripped off because it's just like it's the same thing done with CGI and, and they just don't, they just really cranky and don't see the point. I'm kind of in the same bandwagon where I think it's kind of a shame. I have no interest in seeing the Lion King, but I'm not going to harbor the film. ill will. I mean, yeah, make it, I don't care, you know, but yeah. I kind of see it for me. I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't really see the point. I'm not into it. 
So that's what people yeah, are okay, saying about gotcha. that. My issue with the Lion King one is don't call it a live action adaptation of the cartoon or the animated version. It is all CGI. Correct. All mean, the animals. It's, right? it's an animated film once again. It's just a more modern animation style. My curiosity is, do you change the story in any way, shape, or form? Or is this going to be a direct retelling? Just now we've got more realistic-looking animals because we have fancy computers doing everything. Um, so that I'm, just doesn't interest me. It doesn't me. interest me at all. I saw the animated version. I like the animated film. I it's a too. good story. It's a good film. But if it's just going to be CGI versions of these same animals and singing the same songs and doing the same thing, yeah, I don't need that in my life for anything. <laughs> So that's a little. But you're bit, not going to actively campaign against it. No, I no. mean, yeah, people want to make it. You make it, and if you sure. want to go see it, you buy your ticket. You go see it. Gotcha. Um, now the thing with Aladdin. Um, again, so, so why don't you? Yeah, address yeah, I, address the thing with Aladdin. So Aladdin, I know there are some similar concerns about just it becoming now a live action version. But Will Smith as the genie, I know, has gotten a lot of pushback. People saying, well, you know, they saw a production photo and a publicity photo and he wasn't a blue um, genie. And then they saw him in a trailer and they thought he was kind of hokey and, you know, over the top. Me, I don't care. I mean, I'm all for remakes. (laughs) I say remake the movies all you want. My concern with it, I saw the trailer and I thought the trailer looked kind of cheap i thought you know hmm. the parts in the city and all looked very stagey and looked very television level quality i was a little surprised at how how unpolished it looked to me interesting so that's more my criticism purely okay. technically just saying i don't think the film looks it like looked it's good. gonna be very good it looked good as far as like costume design quality wise not look good as far as story or your well i mean again page. if they're just gonna recopy the same story then again we've seen it before right. i don't mind with aladdin because i think it is kind of interesting to take a live action approach to an animated film i don't have any problem with that but the question always becomes, are you going to do anything different with the different. story? Sure. Because if all you're going to do is a beat-for-beat beat retelling, well, I'm not really that interested. Some people will probably want to take their kids and introduce them to a whole other generation of this, this story. Right. But you know, my kids are grown. I've seen, I saw the original when it came out in the movie theaters, and I liked it. And I don't really have a reason to see it again unless there's something added to the film or something different about the story that makes it worth seeing. Well, I, I think – the reason, like, you know, I was saying it's kind of, <laughs> I get the criticism, I guess the upset about the Lion King. I don't really get it for Aladdin. No. Um, because that to me, like if you're like, you're saying you can't have, unfortunately we're not at that stage where we bonded with our animal partners on this earth where yeah. we can make them act out and sing for the right. Lion King. Yeah. So yeah, it's like computer animated versus traditional animation. If that's the only point of doing it, to me, that is no point. Yeah. Whereas in Aladdin, you have human characters. Sure. So to make them it's be a live, live action, action people, that, that makes sense to me. Grant, you know, the genie, but having Will Smith kind of do an updated version of the genie, that kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, I'm I'd, okay with that too. I've I would seen like, the trailers and I thought, you know, yeah, I actually don't want him to do a Robin Williams bit for bit reach. Re- I don't either. I want yeah, him I hope to do something different. Because I want it to be Will his Smith, own style. I don't, you know, I like him as an actor haven't seen anything recently that I've really like, you know, thought was awesome. They did, but I know he's capable of it. And, you know, he started off doing comedy and stuff with like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So I think there's potential there. Um, yeah. The whole <laughs> blue versus not blue. That's kind of a, well, I, I think, I think we run into, unfortunately, and, and it's the internet. You take the good with the bad for all sure. the 90 plus percent of good on the internet. You've got to take the five to 10% bad. Right. And part of it has really hit the movie 
industry where this whole idea of people posting photos or pre-release looks at films and people making snap judgments based on that information, I think is really damaging. Um, you know, if you look at a production publicity photo nine plus months before the film comes out and you see a character and the character doesn't look the way you expect him to look and people just, and freak. you go rail about it. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Now, if the movie comes out and you go pay your movie ticket and you sit down <laughs> and you watch the movie and you feel the character was not represented the way they should, then by all means go online afterwards and say, I did not like this portrayal of this character, but to base it off of, a photo released early or early trailer looks or whatever, I think is so prejudging and it's really damaging. I think part of the problem is we start promoting these films way too early and we give so much time for the internet to fuel all the fans of, of (laughs) all the flames that they want to. And it's, it's really tough. Sure. I would love it if films were introduced 60 days before they were going to hit the theater. It's like, Hey, by the way, here's a trailer for a film coming out in two months and just give them a short little window of time for people to get all their angst out there. And then at least they see the movie, but it's a lot of buildup for these big movies. I mean, we're talking a year, year and a half that they're being promoted. It's a lot of time for people to get online and have whatever emotions they want to share with everybody. So I have no problem with the remaking of the Disney films. I have no problem with it being live action adaptations. I do have a little bit of a problem of just recreating an animated movie with CGI that I don't really see the point of. Gotcha. But if I heard that the Lion King had a little more depth to the story, this new version, if there was some interesting things they did with the storytelling, interesting things with some of the motion capture acting, whatever it may be, then I may be interested to go see it. But otherwise, if it's just going to be the same story, just with new technology, uh, I don't see the point personally. Oh, you know which other one I left out? Although obviously one character is pretty steep, but Dumbo, that's another one. That well, that's coming out soon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, I'd kind of left that out with Lion King, Aladdin, but Dumbo is another one that Tim Dumbo, Burton. I will say probably looks a little more intriguing to me than these others because a is Tim Burton, which I'm always going to give him at least a, a passing watch to see how he does it with it. But it seems like, you know, I remember the Dumbo movie and it was a pretty thin story, mm-hmm. you know, this seems to be a little more fleshed out universe of all the characters around them. And it's got a great cast. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely more interested in Dumbo than I am Aladdin or Lion King at this point. Michael Keaton and Dan DeVito kind of back together again after How Batman Returns. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, you got those two. You got Eva Green, who I think is always yeah. interesting to watch. And, uh, you know, yeah, I'm hoping it's not Alice in Wonderland type Tim Burton. I hope it's more closer to big fish style oh, Tim Burton yeah. because even though there's a lot of CGI with the elephant, nothing else outside of the elephant seems to be sure. overdone CG in the film, at right. least from what I can tell so far. I hope that's the case. Um, so it could be fun. I don't know. We'll see. All right. So Disney live action remakes sound off online. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Should they be done or not? And if they should be, uh, are you at all interested in them? Chris, let's move on to just kind of some quick hits. Sure. I've just got three film projects that I've been reading about that I'm curious about. I think all have three have interesting possibilities ahead of them. And I'd just like to see if you are familiar with any of them and what your gut, gut check thoughts are when I talk about them. Okay. First off, were you a Sopranos viewer? Uh, not when it was 
online or not when it was actually being shown on HBO, like first run, I guess. Yeah. But um, I watched it. You may not remember this time period, but libraries would have DVDs and you would go check them D- out. DBD? What did you say? DV? <laughs> uh, digital versatile discs. Ooh, DVDs. Wow. Yeah. And you would go check these out. And I had to wait for people to return season one or whatever. Yeah. But I made it through all of these seasons of The Sopranos watching them on DVD. And I liked it. So you're a fan? Yeah. Okay. Well, do you know they're making a sequel? No, prequel. No. Okay. All right, good. Well, I got something new to share with you then. Hmm. Um, There's a film coming out uh, September 25th, 2020. So a year and a half from now. Got you. David Chase writing it, who is the writer of the Soprano series. Got you. Directed by Alan Taylor. Do you know what Alan Taylor has directed? No. Okay. He's most known probably for Game of Thrones episodes. Oh, uh, okay. But also he I've directed that show. Thor, The Dark World, the second Thor movie he directed. Hmm. Interesting. So this is a prequel to The Sopranos. Uh, is was under the title The Many Saints of Newark. But now it's just being called Newark. And it is set in the 1960s, Newark, hmm. New Jersey, during the African-American and Italian community riots. And it follows Dickie Maltzatani. Yes. Yeah. The father of Christopher from The Sopranos. Right. Okay. You following me? Because I've, yes. I've never seen The Sopranos. Really? So I don't know anything about this. I've never seen Downton Abbey. You've never seen yeah. The Sopranos. So, my wife has watched, watched all The Sopranos. Okay. And my wife has watched all the Game of Thrones. Me, I've watched zero of either. So I haven't watched any of Game of Thrones either. Yeah. So I've read the books. I'd probably like it if I got started on it, but... I haven't gotten started on it. Gotcha. So that's Newark. I'm encouraged, A, because, you know, I know The Sopranos is really highly regarded. No, it's a series, not a movie. No, I, it's a movie. Oh, it's a movie. It is okay, a movie. Just a movie. Yep, okay. Just a movie. Hitting theaters. Huh. But I like the fact that it's David Chase writing it. I think Alan Taylor, Taylor seems to be a good director for some of this type of, uh, this type of work. Hmm. And I'm always – I love pre- prequels. I think prequels can be kind of neat. So, um, well, I'm actually – yeah, it makes sense. This is a movie podcast. That it's going to be a movie, but I'm happy that they're not trying to just do another mini series, but they're making it a movie. I think yeah. that's an interesting choice, and I'm I'm glad they're doing it. So okay, cool. that's cool. Good. Well, that's Newark. That is the new name of it. Instead of the Many Saints of Newark, it's now just Newark. I think Newark's a better title. Yeah, and that's all. This is all via IndieWire uh, ah, website. Okay, got, got the news from that. Okay, have you heard about the movie Long Shot? Seth Rogen and somebody else. Charlie's Theron. There we go. Uh, premiered at South by Southwest. Okay. Seth Rogen has become kind of a mainstay on South by Southwest. I think that's where a lot of his films have shown up lately. Hmm. Uh, I know the interview when that was that whole uh, North Korea debacle years ago. Yes. Premiered there. I think uh, Sausage Party, the film he did, the animated one showed there. Okay. So they showed his latest film, Long Shot. Um, there's also been a new trailer out for it. Directed by Jonathan Levine, who did um, The not Wackness. A- not Adam Levine no, from Marine 5. Okay. Man, he is busy. <laughs> He's <laughs> Super, Bowl. Super Bowl and directing movies. No, Jonathan. it's Jonathan Levine Jonathan. who did The Wackness and also did the film 50-50 with Seth Rogen and uh, Jordan mm-hmm. uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, I wasn't that high on The Wackness, but 50-50 was Pretty very good. high on. Yeah. yeah. So Long Shot's a comedy starring Seth Rogen and... Charlize Theron. Now, Charlize Theron has made some movies that have lighter comedic moments. Mm-hmm. Thinking like Tully, thinking like a young adult. Mm-hmm. But 
generally speaking, are still more dramatic. She's also made Monster. That's right. (laughs) The only thing I know that I can think of that she's done that was truly comedy was she had a guest stint on Arrested Development Hmm. for like part of a season. Okay. That's the only thing I can recall her doing that was truly just meant to be funny or lighter. This film, though, sounds interesting. It's a uh, Seth Rogen plays a journalist and... Charlize Theron plays Charlotte Field, who is one of the most influential women in the world, who's going to start running for president. Ah. And so the two of them are working together. Uh, she hires him as a speechwriter, and the whole fish out of water situation for him kind of being in her world. Okay. It is a little bit of a romantic comedy between the two. It's gotten some good feedback. Supposedly it played really well South by Southwest. Okay. So I personally, you know, I like Seth Rogen. I think. Anything he, he, he does, I'm generally going to be a little interested in. Charlize Theron, I think, is a very talented actress. Would be very happy to see a lighter, more romantic comedy from her. Hmm. Uh, and just see how that goes. Yeah. So, um, any when's thoughts that, you've when's got? When's that come out? Long shot? Um, I don't know. Maybe this summer, if it was at South by Southwest. Maybe sure. Let's go with summer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see that. Yeah. yeah. All right, so long shot. I'm, I'm kind of curious about that film. Then the last one is probably the one I'm the most curious about. Hmm. I'm okay. a big fan of Danny Boyle as a director. Okay. I as like, am I. I like most all of his films. Okay. And I've seen all but maybe one of his films, I think. Uh, all the way from Shallow Grave. I mean, that Did was, you ever catch up with uh, Trainspotting 2? No. That would be the one I have <sighs> not seen. Okay. Um, but he's got a new movie. Okay. So I saw, I saw a trailer for this film. And when I saw the film, I didn't know it was by him. Hmm. And I watched the trailer. I'm like, ugh, that just doesn't seem like a good movie <laughs> at all. And then it's like directed by Danny Boyle. I'm like, what? That seems really odd. Hmm. It's a film called Yesterday. That's directed by Danny there Boyle? There you go. That's the response I'm talking about. I, I, I know the whole premise behind it. Yeah. And I was like, interesting. Yeah. But just like a weird. really odd, high concept film, but it's Danny Boyle. Yeah. That is weird. Well, so go this, ahead and explain what the concept is. So it's a rock comedy called Yesterday, and it's been selected as the closing night film for the Tribeca Festival in May. Oh, okay. Uh, scripted by Richard Curtis, and it stars Himesh Patel, who's from a show called The EastEnders, which I've never seen on BBC. I have not either. A struggling singer-songwriter in a tiny English seaside town whose dreams of fame are rapidly fading, despite the support of his childhood best friend, played by Lily James. Well, I like Lily James, so that's good so far. After a freak accident during a mysterious global blackout, he wakes up to discover that the Beatles have never existed. So the whole film is he's the only person who remembers the Beatles. And all their songs. And all their songs. So he becomes famous by performing the Beatles songs because nobody's ever heard them before. I think it's a fascinating concept. Fascinating, but... Can it sustain a whole movie is what I'm really curious about. Kind of like the Groundhog Day premise. I think if 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 done right, it could be amazing. So who knows? But it was interesting when I saw the trailer and I'm just like, huh, that's an odd little film. And then I saw Danny Boyle's name attached to it. I'm like, I had no idea that that was What's interesting, though, is normally when a Danny Boyle film comes out, you that's the first thing you know about. Here's Danny Boyle's latest film. And the fact that I even I saw a trailer and I don't think I saw Danny Boyle's name on it anywhere. So that's interesting that now apparently they are throwing his name on it. So. Well, you know, he was attached to do James Bond for a while, but then he right. they parted ways on that project. So right. it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm very curious about the film. High concept film, it's either going to work beautifully or it could be really, really ugly. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah. I like Lily James. I think she's a really interesting actress to follow right now. I definitely like Danny Boyle. I like the Beatles. Yeah. So, you As know, do I. let's see where things go. It could be very interesting. I, I was curious and now I'm even more so because Danny Boyle is involved. Yeah. So. I, I was the same way. Honestly, I think I saw the trailer didn't register Danny Boyle. Hmm. And then when I saw it online or saw his name attached to it, it was a genuine surprise. So <laughs> it's great. Hmm. So that's three films. I'm curious about that. I think we'll be seeing, well, with long shot and yesterday, we'll be seeing them this year. Um, yesterday will probably be summer, early fall long shot. I think maybe be the same time frame. Okay. New work will not be till 2020, but okay. I thought it was an interesting project to get, yeah. uh, get ahead of. So that's our new section for the show. What we're going to do now is kind of finish up with our last section where Chris and I both give out a film that we want to give as a recommendation, something we've either recently caught up with, uh, something we revisited on our own, or maybe just slipped under the radar and we finally had a chance to catch up with it and want to talk about it. So, Chris, what do you have to share with us? So, I'm going to recommend a movie from 2010 called Incendies, and the storyline is a mother's last wishes send twins, Gene and Simon, on a journey to the Middle East in search of their tangled roots. Uh, Incendies tells the powerful and moving tale of two young adults' voyage to the core of deep-rooted hatred, never-ending wars, and enduring love. Now, you hear all that, and thank you Letterboxd for that description, but you hear that and you're thinking, this doesn't sound like the type of movie Chris would normally recommend. It is subtitled, so he's got the you know foreign thing that I do that sometimes. It's by Denis Villeneuve. Oh, this was his uh, first film, right? Uh, or second film, maybe. The it, one it, before he did Prisoners. Correct. Okay. And so I'm not sure where it falls in his... It's definitely an earlier film. It's 2010. It was before he became kind of known as a director here. Right. Or so, right. so, and before he started going down the science fiction rabbit hole, which I'm glad he did, because I loved Blade Runner, and I liked Arrival, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to like Dune. Yeah. But that was kind of why I visited or watched this film for the first time, because I was kind of curious. You know, it sounds like this drama about yeah. a war-torn area in the Middle East, and you're like, okay, and I just... It doesn't sound like a light film, and it is not. Oh, really? <laughs> it Pretty is heavy, so huh? heavy. Wow. Um, but it's really good. Okay. Um, so I guess his name attached to it kind of was like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot because I'm curious. It is probably a one-timer, um, but it is so good. I, I recommend it. But just know that yeah. it is tough subject sure. matter um, involving children. Um, but. It's good. Hey, I watched all the narrative short films for this year's Oscar <sighs> no ceremony. Kidding. So don't even talk to me about dark, troubling films involving children. <laughs> so. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. That's great. That's actually been on kind of my wish list for quite a while to see because I definitely in the Villeneuve camp after the last several films and very excited. I'm even excited to see Dune, which is something I'd never thought I would utter <laughs> as a phrase out loud. But uh, I am really <laughs> excited to see what he does with that film. So great, great choice there. My recommendation is one, Chris, that you have recommended before. Okay. I'm almost positive, and correct me if I'm wrong, but okay. I had a, a long airline flight um, out west, and it was a great little uh, system to watch the films on the move on the plane. I got to pick a movie from a library, so there are a lot to choose from. But I wanted to see this one because I'd heard a lot of people say some great things about it. How did you like Garfield: A Tale of Two Kitties? <laughs> it was amazing. Awesome. Uh, mate, Bill Murray has never been funnier. <laughs> No, that was uh, after I watched that one. Oh, okay. I decided to flip on something completely different. Um, I 
caught up with the death of Stalin. Ah, yeah. This is, uh, gosh, I'm going to butcher writer and director's name, so I'm not even going to try it. But this is the same uh, group that I think did In the Loop as a film. Um, death of Stalin, It it's a dark, dark comedy. But I will tell you, I probably laughed out loud at this film more times than I have a comedy in quite a long time. Um, this is a film takes place in Moscow, 1953. It is based on true events, but obviously a little more heightened situation than I think what really happened at the time. After being in power for nearly 30 years, the Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin takes ill and quickly dies. Now the members of the Council of Ministers scramble for power. This film uh, has a great array of actors to it. You've got uh, Patty Constantine. You've got uh, Jeffrey Tambor, Steve Buscemi, Michael Palin. uh, Just a lot of great, great character actors. I love the fact that this film focuses so much on dialogue. The dialogue is just absolutely biting and funny and great. I really tend to think that this is probably at the base level what did happen when Stalin died. (laughs) Just all the situations just amplified and the dialogue heightened more than it really did. Um, But I also love the fact that they didn't even bother to try to give any of these actors a Russian accent or anything else. It's like, just go be yourself. So Steve Buscemi... Sounds like Sounds Steve Buscemi. Sounds exactly like you think he's he playing would. Khrushchev, but he's Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Just right. played the guy. Right. And uh, Jeffrey Tambor as Melnikov. I mean, oh, it was so great. So I loved it. And I'm itching to see it again because I just thought it was hilarious. Darker than I expected. It's it had pretty some dark. Really tough moments in it for a comedy. Uh, so it's not just a laugh out loud riot. But the moments it does focus in on the dialogue and comedy, it's really, really, really funny. Um, so, yeah, I love The Death of Stalin. It would have been one of my favorites from 2017 if I'd seen it during the year and would have uh, added it in my rankings. But as it is now, I've just got to give it as a recommendation. Um, and it's a good, yeah, relatively quick watch, too. It's like an hour 45, so it doesn't uh, overstay its welcome. Sure. But I loved it. Loved every bit of it. Had such a good time with it. So. Cool. You did recommend it. Yeah, I did. I did recommend yeah. it. So it's good that good that it paid off and you caught up with yes, it. Yes, thank good. you for your recommendation. That calls me to actually go out and see it. So I appreciate that. All right. Well, that is our show. So our recommendations, Incendiaries from Chris and then Death of Stalin from me. We did our positive reviews of both Captain Marvel and Stan and Ollie. Chris coming out on the more positive end on both of those, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, oddly enough. Uh, then we went through our Disney live action animation debate. And we ended up with a few quick hit uh, production notes on some films that are coming out in the next year to year and a half. So, Chris, people, uh, we flirted a lot of ideas. We flirted a lot of opinions. If people are really eager to jump in the conversation, how should they do so? You should do so by sending an email to info at the mesh.tv and mention Foot Candle Films in the subject line. Tell us what we got wrong, what we got right. Or, you know, you could also help us out and give us a movie to watch that maybe we could recommend on a future show. But we we always like listener feedback, and that's the best way to do it. Yeah, and uh, again, we're on the Mesh.TV network, so I do encourage you to visit the Mesh website, which is TheMesh, T-H-E-M-E-S-H, dot TV, and uh, check out some of the past episodes, or just subscribe and listen to other shows on the network as well. We have our Candle Film Festival coming up in September, so please make sure you mark your calendars if you want to come join us for the weekend, September 27th through the 29th of this year, 2019. It is our fifth uh, Candle Film Festival. What's the five-year anniversary uh, gift I, idea? I don't know. Chris, I'll have to figure that out. Is it paper? 
Sure. We got a lot of paper. I mean, I already got a lot of paper stuff. I don't need any more of that. Uh, just trying to figure out what that is, what we can expect from our our our, our listeners. Um. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Okay, I'll look it up here while we're, while we're closing <laughs> the show. Uh, but it is our fifth year of the Foot Candle Film Festival. It'll be three to four days of films and events here in Western North Carolina. Uh, we typically show between thirty and thirty-five films over the course of the weekend along with a nice uh, opening night event and a closing ceremony and some other things mixed in between. We do give out, gosh, how many awards is it now? We'll give out six this six year. Six awards. Plus, we'll also be rewarding a new grant recipient. We gave out um, some grants last year for the first annual Foot Candle Filmmaker grants, and we'll be giving out, hopefully, um, some more money to deserving filmmakers this year. So. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, the traditional five-year anniversary gift is wood. Uh-huh. Wood is the anniversary gift. Well, that's yeah. too bad we had wood trophies last year. We did, but Oops. we did that in anticipation <laughs> of our five-year anniversary. Exactly. Said, that's yeah. what we were trying to do. I don't yes. think there's an actual six-year anniversary gift. I think they only go in increments of five. five. Okay. So, uh, no, no, I, I take that back. Oh, wow. This is really interesting. I'm sorry. This is off on a tangent. But <laughs> right. First anniversary is paper. Okay. Second is cotton. Third is leather. Fourth is fruit or flowers. Huh. Fifth is wood. Sixth, candy or iron. Nice. So that's kind of interesting. So we're going to have a candy award this year. Is that going to be the plan for sure. going into next year? Yeah, sure. let's do that. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a nice little aside there. A giant gummy bear that's in the shape of a foot. <laughs> Perfect. That's what we want. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back soon with some more movie news, movie reviews, and recommendations. Uh, for everybody with the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival this fall, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.